Today on Business Leader Breakthroughs, I'm joined by Mark McConnell, the Global Lead of Learning and Development at Argenta. Mark is also a speaker and author, and in today's discussion, he shares the six C's of leadership that he sees as the foundational pillars of any great leader. Mark helps us to explore those elements and shares insights from how they've been observed and applied during his own 20-year career. Mark then gets personal and opens up about the inspiration behind his book, The Prime of My Days. This was such an enjoyable conversation, and I'm certain you'll take away some great nuggets. Mark, welcome along to the show. Thank you, Ryan. Well, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. And um, I'm very fortunate that uh, our organizations work together, The Breakthrough, and Mark is the head of L&D uh, globally for Argenta. Uh, so we've had the uh, pleasure of working together. We managed to connect in Mark's home state of Iowa a few weeks ago. And interestingly, you know, just connection straight away and just saw a depth of knowledge that I was sure our podcast audience would be delighted to uh hear from so we've managed to get it arranged uh and it, it's great so mark how about we jump into some fast fact questions and do it. uh get the audience to know you a little bit are you a breakfast or dinner guy gotta go breakfast there i mean it kind of depends on what's for dinner but if i if i had to choose just off the cuff because because breakfast is good any time of day so I like and we're, and we're used to we're used to hearty farmers breakfast here in the bread basket of the world so we'll take Got breakfast it. Got it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it does. It sounds like it is the meal that could be any time of the day. Okay. On holiday, would we find you uh, bungee jumping or on the uh, pool lounger relaxing? I would probably be on the pool lounger. I mean, I would, the bungee jump would be fun, but if I had to choose, I don't, I don't get to relax as much as I'd like to. So let's stick by the pool. And we won't spend too much time into uh, digging in why you don't get time to relax. There's a whole, 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 whole bunch of little reasons, shall we say, that that's the case? <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Okay, and uh, when you're reading, and you're an author yourself, and we'll talk a bit about that during the show, but when you're reading, do you like the convenience of the electronic, or do you like the real thing? I am, you know, I'm one of those people who, uh, because of my age, I, I grew up in an analog world, but now I inhabit a digital world as an adult, and because of that, I still I still go back to the tactile experience. Give me a good old-fashioned paper book. Are we willing to do signed copies of your book for the, for the show? Absolutely. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later. Cats or dogs? Dogs, for sure. sure. We're definitely aligned on C- that cats one. Are, cats are all about what have you done for me lately. <laughs> yeah, what, how does that saying go? Um, cats have slaves and dogs have masters? Absolutely. Yeah, so I much think. truth in that. So not nothing. if you're a cat lover and listening, nothing against yeah. you. So. <laughs> and routine-wise, Mark, are you an early riser or a night owl? Oh, I'm a consummate night owl. I would I would rather start a meeting at 10 p.m. instead of 6 a.m. Well, this kind of works for our time zones. Does it? it does. <laughs> nice. Um, and if you were choosing a movie to watch, would you be choosing a thriller or a comedy? Ooh, that might be the hardest one to answer. I would, you know, younger Mark might say thriller, but if I had to answer today, I'd probably say comedy, uh, just because I, I think we all could use a laugh in today's Indeed. world. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Uh, I think there's some truth to that. Laughter is the best medicine. Uh, and yeah, we can maybe take ourselves a little bit too seriously these days. So yeah, I, I understand Absolutely. where you're coming from on the on the comedy. Okay. Mike, give us a, a brief bit of background. I'm going to ask you shortly about some of your top leader leadership insights, but sure. would be interested again for the audience to get, you know, just give us a, a brief journey and some of your uh, history in uh, leadership and development, your association there. 
can you share that with us? Yeah, absolutely. So to, to, to make a, you know, a 20 year career, very, very short in two minutes. Um, you know, I started out my career, uh, really with a goal of aiming to be the next Steve jobs. I was a computer science major as an undergrad. And so, um, wanted to leave and kind of, kind of conquer the world from a software uh, perspective and did start my career there. And as I shared with you, know, when you and I met in Des Moines, I shared with you, I, I found out two things very, very quickly in my first role as a junior software engineer, writing cloud software, uh, back before they even called it cloud software, uh, for a small uh, learning uh, management system company. Learned two things. Number one is, as much as I enjoy technology, I did not like writing code eight hours a day. It just didn't fit my temperament, my personality. Um, and so I knew I needed to shift my career a little bit uh, fairly quickly. And the second thing I learned, and this was really a happy accident, is that working for a learning management system company at the start of my career, I found out very quickly that I had a passion for adult learning and, and empowering employees through really targeted development act activities. Just loved the work that a lot of our clients were doing back then. And so over time kind of, you know, shifted my career further and fur further away from kind of the, the technical side of things and more toward the people development aspect of things. So from that, I worked in insurance for a while. Des Moines is one of the insurance capitals of the world. So it's, there's, it's a little small print when you enter the city limits, it says you must work in insurance if you live in Des Moines. So I did that for a while um, and then uh, took, took a job about, about a decade ago for a large manufacturer in South Central Iowa doing much of what I do today. Day, just really L&D across the board and just have had a, uh, tremendous opportunities to, to work really as a classroom facilitator. I've done instructional design, built out trainings, run, run targeted development programs, manage, um, you know, uh, grant, grant proposals and applications to help fund some of that training. And so um, just hit, I consider myself an L&D generalist because I love to have my fingers kind of in every piece of the L&D world, if that makes sense. Fantastic. Hey, great summary there, Mark. And I'm sure we'll dig into some of the experiences and learnings on the on the way through of that 20-year career. Um, but could I get you to just give us a summary? We always ask our guests to, mm -hmm. you know, what's their guiding light? What's some of the key insights they have around leadership? Um, mm -hmm. Can you share with us yours? I was asked about four or five years ago to do um, a guest lecture at Grandview University, small liberal arts college in the Des Moines, Iowa area around leadership. And so, you know, he's like, you know, the professor asked me, hey, could you come, you know, speak to a one hour class and just kind of boil leadership down to, you know, one hour's worth of content. And I was like, you don't understand that's that's weeks, if not months or years of development. You're asking me to sum up in a one hour class to undergraduates. And so what I came up with, though, are really six things, six C's um, uh, that I think are critical um, uh, drivers or attributes for good leadership. And I feel like when these are in place, leadership thrives. And when one or more of these are missing, uh, we, we have a leadership gap and, and that, that, that typically doesn't end well for the organization that leader finds themselves in. And so the six of this, and, I, and we'll, you know, we can stop as we go through these uh, one by one. The first and foremost, you know, I tell people of the six, I, you know, I could make an argument. Um, if you wanted to rank order them, you know, whichever, whichever order you wanted to is fine, except for this one has to be number one, it's foundation character. And so, you know, synonymous terms for that, integrity, authenticity, transparency, all those things you think about when you think of a leader's character um, have to be number one. And, you know, and I think if, if most of our listeners out there, you know, reflect back on the leaders they've had either in their career or maybe, you know, prior to their career, uh, whether it be, you know, in school growing up or sports or some community activity they're a part of, um, you know, le leaders can become leaders without character. They can, they can rise the ranks and actually get to the top of their chosen profession 
profession or industry or sector without character, but no one stays in leadership effectively long-term without a high degree of character. And so that's why I think that's that's foundational mm-hmm. um, to the six things that I mentioned. And Mark, let, uh, me, let us dig into yeah. that one a little bit and then we'll, we'll continue. So who's someone that stands out in your experience and your career? Who was a leader that you've been either led by or someone you've observed in an organization you work with that would just exemplify that great character? Absolutely. You know, one, it's funny, one person that always comes to mind is my very first manager at my first job out of college. So again, working for a learning management systems company, I worked for a manager, his name was Eric Kennedy. Um, he was probably, you know, 30 years old at the time, fairly young in his career himself. He had tremendous character and it, it showed itself in a multiple different ways. Number one, he took, he took a very, um, he took interest in everybody who worked for him on a personal level, right? And not that he was prying into your personal background, but he just, he was interested in what made me tick. He was also someone who would go to bat for you um, when, when things weren't necessarily going well in the office or a project was kind of getting off the rails. You know, as long as you were meeting his expectations, he would do all his, all he could to, to go to bat for you and, and um, advocate for you in the workplace. He would not always win every battle, but he would, he would make that stand for you. And the last thing, you know, that Eric, that I have found to be incredibly rare over the course of my 20 year career, I actually mentioned in my book, um, he was a leader who, when he got it wrong, actually would apologize to those he led. Um, which is an incredibly rare thing. Um, in fact, I worked at an organization for eight years where I never heard an apology on any topic from any senior leader in the entire eight years I worked there. And uh, and so that's what it's one of the things you know I tell people if you want to see you know where where character comes from, look for somebody who's willing to own their mistakes. Uh, and Eric was one of those, and it wasn't even that big of a mistake, but it, it really it really stuck out to me at the time. Sure. So many organizations talk about. Uh, we need to be able to fail. If we're not failing, we're not innovating enough. We're not pushing the boundaries enough. Uh, but there's a, a leadership quality that comes along with that of going, one, making it a safe space for uh, teams or the organization to fail, and then also being prepared to admit when you've got it wrong. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's a really, a really super uh uh, character is, is an essential trait and a leader. Totally agree. Already give us number two. Uh, number two, and this is maybe a fairly obvious one, is simply competence, right? If, if you want to lead, you should be competent at least on some level in the area you want to lead, right? Now, as we, as we graduate up or climb the rungs of the ladder, sometimes that competence needs to become uh, less specialized and more generalized, you know, be, become broader and not deeper. Um, but competence is key. And I think the other aspect of, uh, of competence is kn- knowing when you don't know what you need to know, and then, you know, being that lifelong learner throughout and even being willing to ask people who, who maybe report to you for some coaching on, hey, how does this work? How do we play in this industry? Um, you know, um, you know, what's the, what's the best way to go about this? Because we don't know everything. I think sometimes, you know, w- you know, leaders can get, uh, you know, they can fall into the false myth that, hey, if I don't, if I don't act like I know everything, I'm not going to garner respect for my for my team members. When it's just the opposite, right? Because they're going to find out eventually. <laughs> so, especially if they're, you know, long tenured or or you know, highly competent themselves in whatever whatever area you find yourself in. Um, the respect comes from, hey, admitting, hey, I, I don't know this. How can I be eager to learn? Uh, and that really sets the stage for so many other really healthy behaviors in the workplace as well. 
solid points, Mark, and we uh, tackle this all the time with our management training where we see people that are typically very strong functionally or technically. They've been very good at a job. They get promoted into a management role, but now there's a new competence for them to to bring on board, which is, you know, people, soft skills, leadership aspects, uh, et cetera. Um, have you insights into how people best transition, not just for that uh, move, but when they are moving into a new competence zone where they're not, uh, not familiar? You know, I think one uh, one area is, and we'll, we'll get back to this maybe near at, at my last point as well. But first of all, is it is this area you want to move into a good fit for you? You know, and having some self knowledge around, hey, how do I tick? Um, am I t- is am I pursuing this simply because it's it's the next thing uh, that is in front of me, or am I pursuing it because hey, I can bring some value here and, and it fits me well? Uh, the other one is just you know, go get advice. One of my favorite proverbs is where you know where there's an abundance of counselors. Uh, you know, chances of su- success in, in increase. And so go ask someone who's an expert in that area or that field, hey, you know, if you're if you're in my shoes or if you had to, if you had to do this over again five or ten years ago, what what building blocks would you put in place to ramp up your competence here? And the conversations are amazing that come out of that. Yeah, indeed. Uh, surprising how often we try to reinvent the wheel when uh, we just go and ask someone. They already have the answer and they've already got the battle scars and uh, right. probably avoid some of the pain. Yeah, that's a, uh, it's a good piece of advice. Okay, number number three. So we've talked about character and competence. Number three. Yeah, no, number three be, uh, or my third C would be communication. And this is one we could spend an entire podcast on. You know, I will just, you know, comment on a couple of things around communication. No, number one, you know, le- leaders need to be comfortable with both the written and the spoken word. And that doesn't mean you have to be a master orator or a published author to be effective in leadership, but you need to have a certain level of competence in, in both of those arenas. And then the, the second part, this is the part I think gets lost, is I think really effective leaders um, shift their communication style to match uh, the person they're communicating with, right? And that can be anywhere from 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 tone to approach to even the the communication medium itself, whether it be a text versus an email versus an old fashioned phone call. You know, they they take the time to study. Hey, what are the communication preferences of the person I'm meeting with, and and then bend themselves to meet that as as opposed to the other way around. Um, and that's that's something you don't see very often sometimes. Yeah. And uh, I think part of what you've touched on there, Mark, it's not a C, but it's an A and awareness. And you've yes. got to have that. You've got to have that awareness of going, hey, what is the most appropriate communication style, language, tone, medium? Uh, and you can only do that if you appreciate or you have some awareness that maybe the person I'm communicating with likes information in a different way. Do I do? Um, is it a different level of understanding maybe of this topic that we're talking about? Um, so I think that uh, awareness component of communication is really powerful too. Yeah, and this is this is an area where I think also you know leaders would be well served by sitting down. You know when you when you meet with someone new, whether it's a new employee you've just hired, or maybe it's a you know a new um, a new team you're going to partner with, whatever it may be, or maybe someone you report to to sit down. What, what I what I have uh, what I call our partnering meetings to say, hey, from the outset, just point blank ask them. How do you like to be communicated with? Um, who, or, or, or maybe uh, you know a slightly uh, more nuanced way to get there. Hey, who communicates with you well today, and what do they do that you appreciate? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can you can dispel you know months, if not years, of trial by error if you're simply willing to sit down and have that intentional discussion up front. I, I like your approach there of asking what communication did you have today and what worked well because I think often when you ask people how do you like to be communicated to, they're like, oh, I'm actually not too sure. 
Um, but, <laughs> Absolutely. You know, because sometimes we're, uh, we're, yeah, it's that subconscious uh, of how we like things, but asking in that, in that frame gives it a really good opportunity for people to play back what worked uh, for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly know that in our team, we, we talk about this a lot also, and there's some acknowledgement in the team that there's going to be some things where I'm going to send you a, a one-line email I'm not going to ask how your day was. I'm not going to inquire about the kids. It's like, there'll be some things, but I, I communicate that there will be some things that I send. So please don't, please don't take that as uh, being rude or being short with you. There'll be some things and I'd rather save our communication around what's going on in your world to a, to a different forum rather than email. Yeah. By being upfront though, you, you dispel any hard feelings that may come with that or assumptions that get made that aren't healthy. And so that's, that's fantastic. Nice. Already lead us into number four, Mark. Uh, number four, and this is this is one that'll, that that uh, you know you'll cheer for, given the breakthroughs philosophy on leadership is coaching, right? And so one of the things you know, if you are a, a breakthrough client or a prospective client listening to this podcast, you know one of the things that I love about about breakthroughs philosophy and what they bake into their development programs is the coaching component, how important that is. So, and coaching from two perspectives. Number number one, as a leader, you have to be an effective coach, right? You have to you know if you if you use the analogy or the metaphor of um, you know, whether it be a football coach or whatever sport it may be, you know, how do you impart skills over time in an effective way, um, in, in, a, in a way that that meets the the timing of someone's individual development, um, in a way that's going to stretch them, in a way that's going to encourage them, all of those things that go into being a good coach, are, are you willing to try to master those? Because that's part of being a good leader. Um, you know, some leaders want to be leaders because they love the prestige of it, but they have no interest in becoming a, a better coach along the way, which is unfortunate. Um, the, the flip side of that um, is really, as a leader, am I coachable? Right, because we all answer to someone, and so um, b- before I can be a good coach, I have to be coachable first, and so and that's important. And again, that 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 dovetails with the character component because there's a humility aspect of that that's important as a leader uh, in order to be coached. And how do, how do I receive feedback? How do I be resilient in the face of maybe not not accomplishing what I thought I, I'd set out to do? And so uh, again, those those two sides of that co- that coin, uh, coaching and coachability, are huge. Mm. And Mark, if we have a, a listener in there going, I'm in a leadership role, I'd like to be doing some coaching, I'm not doing any at the moment, uh, maybe I'm not too sure how I should approach coaching, what advice would you give around you know, baby steps? What are the first couple of things that they could do to start a coaching journey with their team? Every situation is a little bit different, um, depending on the team they have. It's a start small. Right. You know, if you're not having, you know, consistent one on ones with your team, start there, begin scheduling those. Um, or if you are, maybe carve out um, a portion of those meetings to to cover some some topics or some just really thoughtful questions that you haven't to this date. Stuff that's not necessarily tactical, but it's more, hey, how are we growing you? As, as a person, as an employee in your career journey. And let's let's talk about that and be intentional with that along the way. Um, and, and the other aspect of, you know, maybe if some of those things are happening, but you, you're, you're speaking of it more from a mentoring of component, you know, a lot of folks say, hey, mentoring has to happen organically. And there's, you know, there's some beauty when that does happen. But, but most of the time, people aren't going searching for mentors. And if they are, they have no idea where to look. And so as someone who's willing to invest in that way, uh, from a leadership perspective, just go pick somebody and ask them if they'd be interested in that sort of relationship. And, and you'd be amazed, I think, at how often the answer will be yes. 
totally concur. Uh, people are so willing with their time. And I think the reflection for many people is, hey, I was in your shoes at one point, and I would have loved that if someone could have mentored me and given me some insight. So yeah, I, I've, I've shared the same experience that people are amazingly willing to uh, help out. Nice. Scene number five. Number five is simply care or care and concern for your fellow employee, for the person you lead. This is really just the human element of work, right? Um, you know, it's there's been a lot of a lot written, a lot said about just you know empathy being a leadership superpower in recent years, and I could not agree more. I don't know why it's taken us this long to kind of come back to that or come to it for the first time. Some of us, um, you know, we're and I think you know this is where the pandemic did us a huge favor because it gave us a whole a global X-ray into maybe uh, where the the lines really got blurred between work and home life and some of the, you know, the, the struggles that people have away from the office and how people bring those to the office and vice versa. And so, you know, a, a good leader starts out from, hey, you know, I'm going to assume there's a hardship in your life, right? Because everyone has them at some point in time. And so how do I offer genuine care and concern there and 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 really adjust my approach as appropriate in that, right? Obviously the organizations, they still have a mission to fulfill that, you know, if, if it's a for profit organization, they still have a profit to maintain, but you know, that can certainly be done and still be human at the same time. And I, I would, I would argue strongly that you're, you know, you will accomplish your mission and you will you will earn a better profit if you're human first and there is plenty of uh research and evidence to support that uh insight market. absolutely actually uh organizations that follow a, a high performance culture and a high performance culture is one that is seeking good outcomes for the organization but also you know care for people and a lot of things you've you've talked about already that their bottom line results are substantially better than organizations that don't so um, not much of a, a mystery to it you almost feel like the blend of character and care go very closely together uh, Absolutely. I, I think we saw during the pandemic a lot of surface care being offered you know the you know oh, look take care of yourself i know we've got a lot going on you know please um you know put yourself first oh but we've got all these deadlines to hit and the, the amount of work to be delivered hasn't changed and so mm -hmm. you know we still need to hit all the same same targets so it felt very superficial i think organizations were going oh no i'm going to ask you the care questions actually once those are done cool let's get on are you delivering the work so that character piece of bringing integrity and genuine care to the conversation uh, super powerful also absolutely so and it you know it forces you know those conversations done below a surface level really really force some great conversations when it comes to hey what what is manageable capacity for our team what what is a reasonable you know um you know uh rate of accomplishment for what we're trying to do here and and you know sometimes i think those that that pace gets set either by the highest achiever in the room or by someone who maybe is living you know completely different circumstances than the, than the majority of the team and so um those conversations have to be had indeed have you had an example where you feel like you've delivered um here because you've observed a situation that's been going on with someone in your team i won't give any names but to, to sure. you know to protect people in their inner vulnerable states but you know I, I had a coworker in my last role who uh whose mother struggled mightily uh with with depression and mental illness and i could see I, i've had um some experience in that personally in my own life and my own family and so i have a, maybe a little bit more of a radar for that than maybe the average person and so it was easy to see 
something was going on there. And, and we we had already built a very high rapport and high trust relationship anyway. And so it, it enabled me to kind of ask some below the surface questions, you know, hey, how is your mom doing? And what's what's the struggle here? And as she was able to share, and, I, and unfortunately, you know, you feel a little helpless as a colleague because you can't fix that situation for yes. them, right? Um, but you can offer care and concern. And so, you know, just a couple, you know, the, the very simple things that we did, you know, when her husband was on a business trip, my wife and I, you know, cooked dinner for her and her two young sons and took it over to me because it was a heavy load anyway. I was able to pr- provide her with a, a depression, mental illness resource that had blessed me it, to great degrees in years prior with the hope that, hey, maybe this will shine a light a little bit on, the, on what you're going through. Um, and so it was, it was amazing to see just, um, tears of appreciation, literal tears, um, for what came out of that. And just, and it just grew the depth of her. We're still friends today, even though we don't, even though we no longer work together. Um, but it's little things like that. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we charge hard here, especially in the West <laughs> around, you know, you know, accomplishment and, and, you know, results and that sort of thing. I, I think we, we lose the care component when we when we go too fast that we can't slow down to notice what's going by us, right? Just like if you're driving 90 miles an hour down the highway, you can't notice the great scenery because you're just going too fast. Um, and so we have to we have to put governors on ourselves when it comes to that. And coming from that place of care, uh, first we uh, often start our scrums, our kind of like daily huddles um, with a, a simple. Um, how's your energy today? And, you know, people's energy are up and down, but it, it gives us just that little bit of insight that oh, if someone's been a three out of five, three days in a row, that might be a little indicator that I'll just have a little side conversation later about, oh, I noticed the energy's been a bit, bit light for the last few days. You know, what's what's going on? Is there anything we need to be be aware of? Um, so some little little uh, insights like that can be quite useful too. For sure. Absolutely. Okay, round us, round us out with number six, Mark. Last one on, and this is actually one that I added the first year. I, I mentioned earlier how I, this all came about because of an invitation to, to, to guest lecture at a university class. And my the first year I did it, it was actually five C's. I added a sixth later on uh, based upon a book I read from Leader I Respect. And, it, and the sixth C is conviction. Is um, Do you have a personal conviction um, or, or even some people might even call it a calling that, hey, the leadership role that I'm about to take on is I, I feel like I'm the best person for the job, right? Um, and not, I am not pursuing this simply because it, it offers more pay or more prestige or it's the next thing, obvious thing in my career, whatever it may be. I'm taking this because I, I feel that I can provide um, more value than anybody else that I know who might be in the running for this. And then I, you know, I, I exempt anybody who is, who's serving as a leader in an, in, in an interim capacity, right? Those are temporary assignments. And sometimes we get thrust into things that we know aren't for us forever. But if this is something that's more long-term, that's going to have broader implications, uh, do I have the conviction I'm the right one? And am I willing to invite some accountability and perspective into that decision-making process, right? Because we, we are, we can so easily delude ourselves, right? Well, of course I'm the best for this job. I'm a rock star, right? Do they even know? Um, you know, but, you know, getting some, you know, just good, honest insight from people you trust and who know you well, hey, is this a good fit for you? Um, is this truly the best thing both for you and for the organization you want to help, you know, lead a part of? Um, and, you know, if you get all, all thumbs up on that, then yes, you know, pursue that with ambition and gusto. If you get yellow and red lights, then take a step back and let's talk about, hey, is this the next right move for you? Um, and it's not to say that you can't ever be a leader or, or in a different arena or in a different way. And it's not not to uh, d- diminish your value as an individual by any means. But let's make sure that um, it's a symbiotic relationship between the leader and the person that they mean to lead. 
And Mark, I'm interested in uh, how you would interpret kind of the flip side. We see a lot of people come through our programs and the one word that they use is, I have more confidence around my leadership and management capability. So they've really built their confidence. They have a much more sense of what they're supposed to do, how they can do it, tools and uh, frameworks, etc. they can, can use. So how would you encourage someone to consider whether they've got the conviction for this role if they are stepping into new era of competence um it's maybe they're not that person that naturally goes yep i can conquer anything in the world i'll be fine i'll just figure it out as i go uh maybe there's a bit of confidence uh challenge going on for them how would you get them to think about that do i have the conviction piece uh in that scenario yeah you know i think that is where um you know, people have to draw those those Venn diagram circles of hey, you know my, you know my expertise and the world's needs and do they do they overlap or overline right? And so I think having people and this is where you know you get into we go back to coaching or to mentoring where that's so so important, right? Do you have people who can speak into your life and say hey, the world or at least your organization needs this of you? And sometimes because sometimes I funny I wrote a blog article about this a couple of years ago. Sometimes the best leaders in the world are ones who never wanted to be right because they they were so humble of character they're just like i want to i just want to continue to do my thing and do it well but they had all of these c's in abundance right they were it's obvious to anyone who knows them well to an outside observer they'd be a fantastic leader because they have what it takes but they maybe they don't have a high level of ambition or or maybe they don't they don't have confidence because they just never have never had an opportunity to to exert those those attributes that they possess and so that's where again you know having having people who can speak that into you that yes no i see potential here i think you can succeed and lead well and this is why is really important i tell people you know even if you're just in an individual contributor role in an organization recruit your own personal board of directors so you have people like that who can speak that into you as you walk through the life of your career and who's on your board of directors mike <laughs> my uh, the chairman is my wife, <laughs> by all means, right? Got it. Got uh, it. Smart move. I no, I, I have some people I you know no respect you know either current or prior colleagues who I really respect through the course of my career. You know, whenever I go to make um, if I'm considering a career change, right, or, or maybe even not a not a change but a different maybe role within the organization I find myself, I will often go back to those people who've known me well, who've, who've worked with me for years at a time, and say, hey, this is what I'm considering. This is what it looks like. What are your thoughts around this? As a person of faith, I, I ask my pastor, you know, what they think. Um, mm-hmm. I ask um, friends that I respect. Who, are, who don't even work in the same industry, but they're people of high character um, who know me well. And so I have probably half a dozen, seven or eight people like that that I can draw on. And it's, I, I, can, I would recommend that for everyone. Wholeheartedly agree. Uh, my sister is in quite a high profile role in her job and it gets a lot of media attention and she very much subscribes to this. She's got kind of like six people and, uh, you know, as, as we well know, not everything in the media is true mm. uh, and it can be a pretty challenging environment, but she uses those six people who know her well, who know her character, who know what motivates her, who know her values um, to be able to reflect with them and go, uh, did I get this one wrong? Am I am I off base here? And you know, she's normally not. Normally, it's just been twisted in the public public profile. But on occasion, she said, you know, those people have gone. Yep, I think you got this one a little off off kilter. Mm-hmm. And and because you respect those people, you're like, absolutely, I got it. Thank you. Good feedback. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll do better next time. Um, there was an apology coming. So yeah, that uh, board of, board of uh, advisors is a very uh, very useful uh, tool to have. 
It's huge. And I tell, I tell people, you know, I, some of the best decisions I've made in my career have been opportunities I've said no to because I listened to those people. Right. Um, and I'm looking back, I was like, my goodness, if I, had I entered into that arena, it, it would have been bad. So, <laughs> yeah, you would have just ended up writing code for another uh, hundred. I would have been, oh, who knows where I would have ended up, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, I love that, Mark. Look, I'm going to throw maybe a slightly challenging question back at you, Mark. When I invite people to the podcast, I say, can we have your top three leadership insights? Um, you're clearly a man who likes to exceed the limits you've taken through and turned around <laughs> six. Um, but let me let me bring it back to you. If we were to say uh, we all agree that those six components that you've outlined, character, competence, communication, coaching, care, and conviction, I think we can all associate with how they're, they're useful. But I said it'd go, you've been invited back for another lecture, but this time you're only getting 30 minutes. You're not getting 60 and you're only allowed, you're only, you're only allowed to talk about three of them. Mm-hmm. Which three would you talk about? You know, so the, the easy one is the number one. We talked about this at the top, right? So the character component is foundational to everything else. And so that would be number one. Um, and, you know, I think that's where, um, you know, I, it's funny is is I, I read someone who likes to talk about institutions and, and our, our lack of, of trust in institution these these days and we are we are not going we're not becoming um, parts of institutions or organizations to form character anymore. We're going there to find a stage where we can perform. And that's that's a little troubling um, from one side of things. And so um, I, I worry about that. But character is, is absolutely uh, the number one. And if I had to choose two others and whittle the list down to three, number two would be communication, because as you well know, Ryan, you can't lead effectively without being an effective communicator. It just, it can't be done. And so um, that would be number two. And number three, this would be the hardest one because the, you know the, the, I, bl- I believe in the entire list, but I think it might be the last one we talked about is the conviction piece. And 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 for two reasons. One is, it, you know, it gets down um, to what is, what's our motivation to lead? Why do, why do we want to lead or why do we feel we have the capacity to lead? And number two, again, it invites in perspective that uh, um, we wouldn't normally go grab. Um, and that's incredibly important. So those would be the three, character, communication, and conviction, if we had to whittle yeah. the list. Yeah, and, and we're pretty aligned. I, I was I was a little torn between care and conviction. It's not to say the other ones aren't, uh, aren't valuable as well, but uh, you've done a good job uh, being put on the spot market whittling uh, six down to three. <laughs> so thank you, thank you for being a uh, kind participant in that one. Hey, let's turn our attention uh, to your book. You've, you've written a book, The Prime of My Days. Firstly, I'd like to know, what was the motivation for you in becoming an author and taking the time and effort to write a book. You know, it's funny. I, I'd always dabbled with the idea of writing a book and not that I am someone who, who journals a lot or has keeps a diary or anything like that. It just, you know, I feel like it's a, it's a way um, for me personally to just ex- express and, and work through things, right? Some people do that by talking to a best friend. Other people do that by taking a long walk or through meditation or prayer. I, I, I can do those things as well, but I feel like the act of writing helps me process events that happen in my life. So that was part of it. And then number two, really, you know, uh, the conviction to, we talked about conviction before, the conviction to write this particular book came from how do I process a very difficult season in my own personal life? And so, and I, I won't go into the entirety of that uh, and people can read about it in the book if they're, if they're interested enough to check it out. But there was a, a season here several years ago in my life where my wife and I had, had moved to a new city uh, for a new job change, new career change. Uh, we had um, two very young children at home, an infant and a toddler. Um, my wife was struggling health-wise with, at the time, uncontrolled epilepsy, which is a staggeringly difficult disease. And then um, 
my father-in-law who lived an hour away, who we were the primary caregivers for, uh, was working through a terminal cancer diagnosis. And so just, I mean, feeling the weight of the world. Um, and you talked about showing up at the, at, the, at the office, you know, what's your energy level today? It had been a one out of five for like a year and a half for me, right? Uh, and, 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 and not anything in my own, it's all circumstantial. There's nothing I could, I could do to fix the situation. It's just, you know, part of life you have to walk through. Um, as a person of faith, I, you know, I read the Bible and there's a particular verse in, in the book of Job that talks about, and if people are not familiar with the Job, I'll sign, I'll, I'll sum up one of the biggest books of the Bible in 30 seconds for you. He's a man who had it all, lost it all, and then had it all again. And in the midst of all of that, that huge story, the, uh, there's one of the middle chapters that there were Job takes a moment to reflect back on what life was like at its best. And he mentions four things in there. And in the phrase he uses in there, as I was in the prime of my days. And as I was reading through that in this difficult season, it hit me like a sledgehammer right in the forehead because it was it was what was going through my head every day, but that I would have not been able to verbalize yet, right? Hey, this life is hard. It's a lot harder than it used to be. How do I get back to the prime of my days? What does that look like? And for, for someone in the annals of biblical scripture who kind of did it the right way, what can we learn from that? And so that was the motivation for the book. Fantastic. And in another 30 second chunk, if that's not unreasonable, <laughs> um, what's how, what's the key message you deliver in your version of, you know, the prime of my days? What, yeah. what has been like kind of key insights that you've taken on board and been able to live with to just take on that challenge and appreciate the good things in life and make sure you're yeah. uh, focused on the good things? You know, I, I'll mention there there are four things that I mentioned in there in, in my commentary on, on the book of Job. You know, one is around friendship and just how important community is. And I think we can all grasp a lot of that after the last few years we've experienced as a as a human race. And so that's number one. Number two is just really around, and it also gets into, into that is what I call in the heading of the chapters, a seat in the square. What does belonging feel like? What does it feel like to be a member of a community? Um, and that, that goes, so the friendship is at the micro level, like it's me and one other person, right? Or me as, or in a small group of friends, but how do I fit into this, this ecosystem that I call life, right? Whether it's mm -hmm. at work, whether it's in my community, whether it's, you know, um, uh, other things that I'm a part of and do I feel like I belong or not, which is incredibly important, um, to, to our human health. The other one is just around, Hey, how do I, how do I deal with, with, um, scarcity and abundance? What does that look like? Um, and, and what are, what are healthy expectations around that? And then the other one, the last chapter is really around honor. What's it like to lead an honorable life? I tell people here in the West, we are, we are operating what I call for the most part, a post honor culture and what the ramifications of that look like. And so I think we, we've lost a few things as a society because of that. And then also, you know, at the very end, you know, being realistic around, um, it, it, we wouldn't call it the prime of life if life was always great. And so what are healthy expectations around the seasons of our lives? So hopefully that sums it up quickly. That, that was a, uh, a fantastic effort. Uh, and we will make sure we put the uh, link to the book uh, in the show notes so people can pick that up, grab a copy, read how they would like, whether that be on Kindle or yeah. buy the real thing. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, thanks for uh, sharing with Mike. Look, as we round out this podcast, firstly, I'd like to say thank you for your contributions. Uh, your insights have been uh, super valuable. I've loved the conversation. Uh, final question for you. If you were able to assume someone else's life for a day. Oh, my goodness. That's wild. Who would you be? Who would you be? Oh, my goodness. That's that's wild. Um, 
you know, I tell people I am fascinated by politics. I'd be the world's worst politician. I'd be a terrible politician, but I'm fascinated by the whole political realm. You know, I would be, especially with what's going on in Great Britain these days, to walk around in the prime minister's shoes for a day, especially when they're fielding prime minister's questions from parliament. Would, would be a trip. I wouldn't mind experiencing that for just one day. Yeah, yeah, one one might be enough. <laughs> one would be plenty, I'm sure. That that has always just intrigued me, fascinated me, just, you know, um, what we expect of someone in that sort of leadership position. Um, and so, um, yeah, that'd be great. Babe. And Mark, if people wanted to uh, connect with you and maybe learn, learn more about some of your insights, what would be the best way for them to connect with you? Sure. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just type in Mark McConnell. I'm sure you can find me fairly quickly there. Um, you'll, you'll see a little bit more about my career journey on there. And I, I do um, write a few a few posts on there from time to time, a few articles around typically leadership or L&D topics. Um, and so people want to kind of get a taste of my my philosophy around those those things. They can find that there. And then if they're if they're interested in the book or, or you know, kind of what's said or the, the message of the book, my author site is primedays.org. Not to be confused with Amazon Prime days, uh, <laughs> the sales that go on there, uh, but but really take on the title. So yeah, PrimeDays.org, and you can um, you can find links to order the book and find out a little bit more about me and, and again the 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 reason or the impetus for why we wrote it. So great, and we'll make sure we put all of those uh, links in the in the show notes, uh, Mark and uh, Jeff Bezos is not accidentally sending you a hold of money because he thinks you're the, your side side generator. <laughs> I'm not sure the check yet, no. <laughs> Damn. As they say, it might be in the post. Hey, look, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. I've really enjoyed our conversation and what you've shared with us. And I'm sure the audience has as well. We appreciate your time, sir. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, thank you. It's been a privilege to, to be on the show today. And uh, and thank you for your partnership and breakthrough, Breakthroughs Partnership um, and just your mission as an organization. You guys are are, are doing the right work as far as helping the, the, the world grow some, some healthy leaders. So thank you. Great. Thanks, Mike.